If you'd like to get out your Bibles, we're going to have our first Bible reading now. Uh, And it's in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, from verse 1 to 41. Numbers, chapter 16 and verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Isar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel. 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his, and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this, take censers, Korah and all his company, put fire in them, and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? And that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you must also make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, and I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they and Aaron, tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it, and every one of you bring before the Lord his censer. 250 censers, you also and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment." And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and will you be angry with all the congregation? 
And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die, as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up, and all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eleazar the son of Aaron, the priest, to take up the censers out of the blaze. Then scatter the fire far and wide, for they have become holy. As for the senses of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, for they offered them before the Lord and they became holy. Thus they shall be assigned to the people of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze senses which those who were burned had offered, and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar, to be a reminder to the people of Israel, so that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron, should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah and his company, as the Lord said to him through Moses. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. The second Bible reading is Numbers chapter 20, which is just a few pages over on page 128 in the church Bibles. In Numbers chapter 20. And the people of Israel, <clears throat> the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there is no water for the congregation and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. 
Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers, and when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through your field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through, lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom called out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. And they journeyed from Kadesh, and the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Hor. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, on the border of the land of Edom, Let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. And they went up Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron thirty days. They are fairly long readings, uh, but it's a fairly gripping narrative, and I hope you um, saw something of what we're going to be looking at uh, today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael. Um, Gary's away, as Matt said, he's back tomorrow, so you get to hear from me again today. Um, we're back in the book of Numbers, we're almost halfway through now, um, and we're going to be continuing to look at some of the major themes that come out of the book of Numbers, and we're going to be thinking about, and potentially you saw it in, in uh, chapter 16, 
uh, we're going to be thinking about grumbling against leadership, against God, and how seriously that gets treated. Um, being a dad gives you a new appreciation uh, for complaints because kids complain about everything and anything, like even ridiculous things. I've argued with my son about his fingers being wrinkled in the bath and him not wanting his fingers to be wrinkled. And I'm like, I can't do anything about that, but you're, you're still here whinging to me. I, I don't know what you want. Um, maybe God does that to, to give parents a sense of um, us complaining and grumbling to God. Um, Grumbling and complaining is, is part of our culture. Uh, I remember there was a Macazad, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, uh, that was based around the idea of going and complaining about your coffee if it was not good enough. And, and, and the slogan was something like, we love your, your complaints, like, it, like it's encouraged. Um, we love complaining about government, about bosses, about the costs of things, about things not being good enough or things not going our way. Um, but we're, what we're going to see from the book of Numbers is that at the heart of grumbling lies something very serious and very offensive to God, and he treats it in kind. So just as a recap of where we are in the story, uh, the Israelites have left Mount Sinai. Um, they're traveling across the wilderness. We saw last week that they come to the edge of the promised land, the land that God had for them, and they refuse to go in. And so now uh, God judges that, and they're just wandering around the, the wilderness for 40 years. And, and this, these six chapters that we're looking at today um, see some of those 40 years where they keep wandering around until most of that generation has died out. And what we find is that nothing has changed for them. Nothing. They're still grumbling and complaining against God and against the leadership of Moses. Uh, in the chapter we read before, there's a guy called uh, Korah, um, who, uh, who was a Levite. And there's about 250 chiefs of the people who, who gather together and want to oppose the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And the accusation that Korah levels at Moses and Aaron is that they have exalted themselves above the congregation. So Korah goes, well, hold up. We're all holy. God, God lives amongst all of us. Why should you be the one to lead us? Why should you be above us? They say, well, why are you, are you going to make yourself a prince over us that you can command us? I wonder if you saw how Moses replied to Korah in, in verse 8 of chapter 16. He says, Moses says to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you that God, the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service um, in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them and that he has brought you near to them, near to him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you, and would you seek the priesthood also? What Moses says is, you've got a really important job that God has given you. In fact, you have this position that most of them cannot do, in that you are allowed to come near and to minister and to serve. He tells them, you've gone too far. Verse 11, therefore, it is against the Lord, against the Lord, that you 
and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? What does he say? He goes, you're grumbling against Aaron. Do you want his job? Aaron's nothing. He's only doing that job because God gave him that job. So when you come against Aaron and you say, you're not going to be the one who does the priesthood thing, who are you really grumbling against? It's against the Lord. Because it's God that chose Moses and Aaron to lead the congregation. He put them there. And so to challenge their place is to challenge God's wisdom, God's choice. And we see God's response, don't we? To their rebellion. The ground opens up to swallow the households of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. And it says that they go alive to Sheol. And then holy fire rains down out of heaven on, on these, these men who had congregated in front of the tent of meeting. And it burns them up. It's treated very, very seriously. But they gather against Moses and Aaron against God. And we're left scratching our heads and going, well, maybe this time. Like, the ground swallowing up people is not a normal thing that happens, right? And then fire that same day coming out of heaven. This isn't a normal thing that happens. Maybe now they have learned not to complain, not to grumble about what God is doing. Verse 41, I stopped here for, for a reason in the reading. But on the next day, on the next day, not 24 hours later, the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of God. And you just want to go, stop. <laughs> like, what, what do you think is going to happen here? Again and again and again, you guys do this, and then you're judged for it, and, and it goes terribly. What are you doing? In fact, it's kind of painful to read this narrative at points. Because chapter after chapter after chapter describes them making the same mistake over and over again. They either grumble against Moses and Aaron, or they grumble against not having food or water, about not being able to go into the promised land. And every time it goes poorly for them. We didn't read it, but straight after um, they, they complain uh, in verse 41, uh, God sends a plague into the people of Israel. And again, Moses and Aaron have to kind of scramble to try and save the people of Israel from being completely um, destroyed. And they, they take one of these holy censers and they put it in the people of Israel and the plague stops. Two things occur to me as I read this narrative. Um, the first is that I'd hate to be Moses. I mean... The guy didn't ask for this job. He didn't want it. God appears to him in a burning bush, and he's like, hey, guess what? You're the guy that I've chosen to go and lead the people. And then he goes and leads them. And first Aaron turns around and goes, Aaron and Miriam turn around and go, nah, you're not doing a good job. We don't want you to do this. We can do this better. And they get judged. And then his, um, his priests and the chiefs, 250 of them, come before him, and they go, we don't think you're doing a good job. We could do it better. Uh, why don't you step down and let, and let us do it? And then the whole people, after... After those chiefs and elders get judged for coming against him, the people turn around and say, you have killed them. I reckon I'd be sick of it. I'd be like, someone else can do this job? <laughs> I'm out of here. Um, I reckon that plague going around Israel, I'd be like, that plague is there because of your complaining. Uh, what do you want me to do about that? I'm just going to let that go. <laughs> 
and maybe you guys will learn. But no, every time Moses speaks and acts on behalf of the people. He acts on behalf of the people who are complaining against him. Um, In fact, read this later, but uh, in chapter 17, God himself gets sick of their grumbling uh, and constant complaining against leadership. So so he tells the priests, all right, all of you bring your staffs into the the tabernacle and the one who I have chosen, their staff will budge. And they bring all these sticks out, so they write their names on them, they, they put the sticks out, they bring them out, and Aaron's staff have budded. You can kind of imagine this stick here if you came in and it was growing flowers and, and, and nuts on it. You'd go, that, that doesn't happen, right? Like it, it's, it's meant to be a symbol of who God has chosen to lead the people of God. And then God says, keep the staff as a sign for the rebels that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. So God says, I'm sick of their grumbling. I'm sick of us doing this same thing over and over. Let this be the thing that ends it. And it ends it for two chapters. And then we read it again. They, they grumble and Moses has to give them water. The second thing that I notice as I read uh, this passage is that this passage freaks me out. Right? You have to get this. Aaron comes against Moses, and he gets given a second chance. Korah comes against Moses, and he's destroyed. No second chance. He sins, he gets judged, he gets sent to seal. People complain, and they drop like flies. No second chance. And that freaks me out. Because am I any different to these Israelites? I grumble, and I complain about things in my life every single week. I've grumbled and complained about leadership here at this church in my 10 years that I have been here. I've done that when I didn't think they were doing a good job. Why am I not on fire? Why is the earth not opening up to swallow me? I'm no better than Korah or those 250 chiefs. And it's not as though God has changed. So some people like to think that the God of the New Testament is different to the God of the Old Testament, like God's just angry in, in, in the Old Testament and now he's all about love and he doesn't care about our sin as much anymore. The Bible's very clear. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still just as holy. Our sin is just as grievous and offensive. So why am I not dead why are you not dead? Three pictures, three stories from Numbers that help us to answer this question. Uh, the first is uh, living water. It's in Numbers 20. We read it earlier. Uh, the Israelites are again, surprise, surprise, grumbling because of their thirst. God tells Moses to speak to the rock, but he strikes it instead. And God judges him and, and Moses and Aaron aren't allowed to to go into the land, which is a bit rough on Aaron, like he's just standing there and Moses hits it with the rock and God's like, well, guess what, both of you aren't allowed to go into the promised land. And I was like, what, what are you doing? Um, uh, This story is a bit complicated to explain, partly because it's a mirror of another story that we see happen in Exodus chapter 17, where God just tells Moses not to speak to the rock, but to strike it with his staff 
and, and it, um, it starts pouring out water. So the first time, Moses is to, is to strike it with his staff and water comes out. And the second time, he's told to speak to the rock, but he strikes it and then water comes out. So what's going on here? Um, Moses' staff was a symbol of God's power and judgment. If you remember, it's his staff that he took to Pharaoh to perform miracles and, and, and to do the whole plague things. Um, remember, his staff is the thing that turns into a snake. It's his staff that he uses to part the Red Sea. Um, it's his staff that he holds up in Exodus chapter 17 when uh, the Israelites are in battle. And as long as he holds the, the staff up, the Israelites are winning. And so Aaron has to come and help him hold him up because it's hours later and, and it's not easy to hold up a staff. So um, his staff is significant in that it is a picture of God's judgment. Okay, big deal, Moses hits a rock <laughs> with a stick and, and water comes out. Um, in Exodus 17, God says he will come and stand there as Moses performs this, right? Um, no other miracles that Moses performed, to my knowledge, does God say I will come and stand there as he does it. Why is he present for this one? Why is this the thing that he says, I will come down and be there while you do it? Moses strikes the rock with the staff of judgment in the presence of God so that water comes and the people live. It sounds kind of like Jesus, doesn't it? As he is judged in the presence of God, as he takes God's judgment, as he goes to the cross, so that living water might flow to the many, and they live. You see, it's meant to be a picture of what is going to happen in Jesus, so that we may live. And our story is in Numbers 20, and something different happens here. God says, speak to the rock. The judgment of the rock, if you like, that picture has already been done. So instead of judging the rock, he's supposed to speak to the rock, and yet he sins. He mucks up. He is himself judged. And, and, and God says that um, this happened because Moses didn't believe in him. He didn't treat him as holy. He, he didn't think that God was serious about the way that Moses was about to go about his ministry. But it, it, it's this bizarre thing because... Um, he grum the, the people grumble and Moses sins and Moses gets judged, but the people still get water. Which is kind of it, it's kind of jarring with the rest of the, the, the stories that we see because every other time that they complain, the people are judged. And yet here we have this picture of God giving mercy even despite what people had done. It also leaves us with the desire for a better leader. Like Moses is pretty good, but he still sins. He's not perfectly obedient. It leaves us with a desire for someone who would be completely obedient to God's commands, who would never stuff up, who would never lead his people astray, who would treat God as holy. Our second picture, um, Tam referenced before, so you'll already uh, get the picture. Uh, it's in chapter 21, verse 4. It's worth turning there again. Um, not again, for the first time. 
Uh, it's only a short story. Let me read it. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many of the people of the Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take the serpents away from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look to the bronze serpent and live. Um, kids, uh, if mum or dad cooks you a meal, and you turn around and tell them that it was rubbish because you wanted sausages instead of chicken, um, that it was loathsome. That's a new word for you, by the way. Loathsome to you. Uh, what do you reckon mum and dad would do? Depends how cranky mum and dad are <laughs> at the moment. They wouldn't be happy with you turning around and looking at the thing that you have provided and complaining about it. Um, God is, what is God doing for the Israelites? They're there starving in the desert and God literally brings them quail to eat every morning and magic bread or, or something like that on the ground. And they turn around and they go, we loathe it. It's worthless. Let's go back to Egypt where we had plenty. <laughs> so what does God do? He goes, well, have some fire snakes, which are going to bite. I don't know why fire snakes. You would imagine snakes are, are scary enough, like running around and biting people. But apparently these snakes are on fire, uh, just to get the point across. Um, and, and they start biting people and they start dying. And, and God tells them to do what? He tells Moses to make an image of the fiery snake, to put it up on a pole. And people are supposed to look up at this snake and be saved from death. And we, again, we have to ask, why? It, it seems like a lot of um, trouble for Moses to have to go and, and craft this bronze snake and, and, and put it up on a pole. And then the snakes are still going around the people of Israel and biting them. And, 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 and when they get bitten, they have to come and look at this pole and then live. Um, almost every other time, right? you, you have to get the contrast. Almost every other time, Moses prays, and the, the judgment, the punishment disappears. So why? Like, why doesn't God just go, okay, you've prayed. Like every other time, we, we, we're going to end it there. You've got the point. Why this answer? Well, just before the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, Jesus says this in John 3.14. He says, um, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. See, this snake was a picture of what Jesus was going to do. He was going to become a symbol of our judgment. He was going to be judged on our behalf as He hangs on the cross. And he says that anyone who looks up at Jesus lifted up on the cross will be saved. Their punishment will be taken away. 
will have eternal life. The third picture. Um, have a look with me back at Numbers chapter 16, verse 20, to our starting place with Korah, and I want to show you something else in there. Um, 16, verse 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord said to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So initially, God says to Moses and Aaron, look, you guys get out. Uh, something bad's about to happen. I'm going to consume all of them. Um, you guys get out, and, and I'll judge them, and you two will be fine. Um, and, and, and Moses and Aaron plead on behalf of the Israelites that they would not be destroyed. They, they say, it's just Korah that sinned and, and the 250 other people. Are you going to destroy them all for their sin? Now, we have to ask, does God just need to be convinced that what he's decided to do is a bad idea? Like God's somehow out of control and he needs Moses and Aaron to calm him down? Like, God, you're just hungry, um, just, just can't. Is that what's happening? Of course not. God is always in control. He knows exactly what he's doing. But this is meant to be a picture of a greater intercession that was to come. See, in Hebrews chapter 3, we learn that Jesus is greater than Moses. In that Moses is faithful over all God's household as a servant, but Jesus is faithful over God's household as a son. Think about that for a second. God's servant Moses was challenged, and his adversaries were consumed by fire. What happened to the opponents of God's Son? To the ones who mocked Him, who beat Him, who lied about Him, who nailed Him to the cross and stood around mocking Him. Like you just have to see, uh, Moses is a servant, people get judged for opposing Him. Jesus is here, He's God's only beloved Son. What should we expect to happen to the people who treat Jesus like that? Worse than the Israelites. You, you can imagine the angels, the tens of thousands of angels standing there in heaven being like, when's our time, God? Let us go down and stop them and judge them for what they are doing to your son. What happens? Nothing. Why? Because Jesus hangs there on the cross and he looks at the people who are persecuting him and he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our faithful and merciful high priest who speaks and acts on our behalf. It says that he provides propitiation for our sins. That is, that he turns away the wrath of God. See, Moses does the same for the people of Israel. He turns away God's wrath, but he's not good enough to do it completely. But Jesus is our perfect and faithful high priest who stands and takes all of God's wrath 
And he sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us. Moses pleads for the Israelites, but Jesus bleeds for us, our perfect sacrifice. So what's the answer to my question? Why do I stand here as a sinful, grumbling, complaining person and not be burnt up? It's because of Jesus, who was the perfect Son of God, who never failed, who always obeyed, who was never judged for his sin, but who was hung on a cross. Who died, who took all the wrath of God at our sin, who provided a sacrifice once for all time. And who now sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on my behalf. That is why I'm alive. And, and, and he calls us. Anyone who, who looks to Jesus will be saved and have eternal life, springing into eternity. In, in the midst of, of this judgment, and it sounds really harsh, and it is really harsh, the way that God um, judges his people. But it's a picture of his holiness and a picture of what Jesus was going to do. Three applications that come from this and then we'll finish. The first is, uh, don't grumble, uh, but be, be prayerful. As I said earlier, God is still just as holy as he ever was. And our sin is just as grievous. Simply because we have Jesus as our advocate is no reason to treat our sin lightly. This should serve as a warning to us about how serious that is. And I think often we just treat our sin lightly because we don't have these, <laughs> these big pictures of, of fire coming out of the sky. Never treat our sin lightly. So it's worth thinking about what grumbling is so that we can uh, avoid it. It's not like we can just pretend like everything in life is okay and just go, oh, well, I'm just going to look at the positive things and pretend like nothing ever goes wrong. The Israelites had real problems. They needed water. They needed food, right? Like you can't just go, oh, yeah, it, it will be fine. That's not things that we need. Jesus says that God knows what we need before we ask. He says that God knows what, that we need food and shelter and clothing and that God will provide and we're told to come and bring our requests before God. So it's not that they needed help that is the issue. At the heart of grumbling, and we see this again and again, is a lack of trust in God. It's that the Israelites come and say, we'd be better off in Egypt without you without your salvation, without any of this? Why did you come? It's not that they ask for food or for water. It's that they don't trust God, even though God has shown himself time and time again to be faithful. To be faithful. So we're not to distrust that God will be faithful to his promises and be bitter about what is happening in our lives. Instead, we're to humbly present our requests to God and to trust Him, to keep following Him, to give Him thanks and praise for the ways that He has been faithful to us. To be content with what we have, even when things are hard. And that's difficult. 
Second, under God, uh, submit to leadership. Um, this really deserves a whole sermon in itself. Um, one of the difficulties of being Australian is that we love um, to have a problem with authority. Um, we pride ourselves in having a problem with authority. Um, but this isn't anything new. We see this in Korah, don't, don't we? Thousands of years ago, people had problems with authority, and we're still doing it now. The other problem we have with leadership is that our leaders are sinful. We see that in Moses. He, he makes a mistake. He's not perfect. Even Moses sins against God. But as Christians, what does Jesus call us to do? He calls us to humbly submit to authority, both church leadership and government leadership. Jesus, you have to understand this, Jesus, the perfect leader with all power and authority, what does he choose, who does he choose to lead the church? The apostles. And the apostles were broken. And you go, well, how can this be a good system? They're obviously going to make mistakes along the way. It's what God has chosen for the church. Now, we're to be discerning. Um, Paul, Jesus, the rest of the apostles make it very clear that we are to, um, that we are to, sorry, that we are not to blindly follow. Because there are wolves in the church. There are people who will not teach the right thing. So they don't go, just, just do whatever leadership tell you. They tell you to be discerning. Discerning. But we're also to submit, to trust the leadership that God has placed in the church. Now, because I'm serious, it would take a whole sermon to unpack this. Um, I'm just going to recommend uh, that book that Matt was doing the book review on earlier. Because Christopher Ashe does a brilliant job of that, uh, about the balance um, of how do you know when to challenge and, and, and how, how do you know how to do that and, and how to submit, what that looks like, what that means. So can I recommend that to you? Um, the issue of submission is just complex because we're simple. Um, pick up a copy. Uh, lastly, trust in Jesus. We know we're sinful. We know that we're broken. As we try to be better, as we try to follow God, as we try to do right, we're going to stuff up. But we know that God has been greatly merciful to us. We have every confidence that when we come before God, we're going to receive mercy rather than judgment. Every confidence. All we have to do is look to Jesus and place our trust in him.